Welcome to the Toes on the Line podcast. It's your host, Gio Gracia. And I want to just apologize to everyone about the delay in the week with an episode. Last week, I was having uh, software issues with my uh, recording device on my laptop here, but um, got it figured out. Um, and we're ready to go for today's episode with Anthony Grasso from University of Connecticut. He works with the football program there. And no, we are not related by any means. Uh, my last name is Grassi. His last name is Grasso, but we're both Italian, so I guess that kind of blends us into uh, some type of relation. But um, Ant jumps on today, and he's talking high-performance models. We're talking some uh, strategies on how to develop efficient strength and conditioning programs and also working alongside your sport coaches uh, for them to efficiently, um, I guess, design their practices so we're not crossing each other's paths and we're not beating the kids up too much and they're not overworking the kids too much on their end and we get an optimal um, training program here to where the kids can just find more success as they continue to train. But before we get into the episode, uh, just a few shout outs, man. Shout out to my brother, Ernesto. Ernesto! He shouted me out last week on the IG with the regram. He's actually in a rock band. I don't want to say rock band. Let me take that back. I don't know the type of music, but it's in that type of metal music. He's going to kill me for not knowing the type of music it is, but it's not rock. It's some type of heavy metal. It's just something just in that genre. Um, but his band's name is Enox. That's E-N-O-X. You can check him out on Spotify, YouTube. Um, follow them on the gram. Facebook, um, and they're all over the place, all up and down the East Coast, somewhere in the Midwest. They used to do some uh, tours out there. They did a tour out of Montreal, Canada last year, which is pretty dope. So, uh, younger brother, man, he's doing his thing, man. Shout out, big dog. I don't know his bandmates' names. <laughs> those are his peoples. Those are his boys. But uh, I just know my brother rocks the electric uh, guitar in that band, and uh, he makes that thing sing. Um, other shout outs for this week. Oh, uh, real quick, real quick. Back, 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 back. Last week, happy birthday to my wife, Lindsay, baby. I love you. Um, we celebrated her birthday these last two weekends because she actually just started working again. Um, and it sucks with the whole pandemic, man. I feel bad for everyone that lost their jobs and never got back to work. You know, my heart goes out to you guys because it's, it's really tough this year to really do what you wanted to do if you had plans on purchasing a home and stuff like that or relocating your family or just doing you know, other things that was kind of shut down by that. But uh guess she was down for about six months, seven months, whatever the case was. And she just started work again last week. And her birthday was last weekend, but we celebrated the last two weekends because we knew that once she got back to work, uh, the fatigue was going to kick in, especially, you know, not working for, you know, the months everyone was quarantined for. And I felt that fatigue the first week I got back to work, man, I was shot out. Um, I was kind of high on life and high on work, so I was just rolling. But now, I'm telling you, now I'm starting to feel that effect, man. I'm talking working from 5.30 to uh, 7 p.m. on some nights. Um, you got to do what you got to do with the COVID policies we have in place and you know the, uh, the spread out of the athletes in the weight room. But we're rolling, man. Semester shuts down November 20th, which sucks. We got about four more weeks left of that, so... You know, it sucks because the kids go home for another eight to 10 weeks and um, we're just hoping gyms across the nation will shut down. But back to the shout outs, you know, my homie Blake down in Lubbock, he gave me the regram. He's always down there checking it out, tolls on the line. He's at the uh, 
you know, he said he loves listening to it when he's at the gym. Um, some good information. He is not a coach. He just loves exercising himself. So, and he loves sports and he loves the uh, inside information that we're putting out there. No, no, nothing too, uh, inside information is not too uh, invasive, if you know what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, that's that. Also want to give a huge shout out to my volleyball team at Fordham. Those women are balling in the weight room. We're doing our thing. And I actually got to practice with them um, on the court a couple weeks ago for the first time. And it was my first time uh, actually playing the sport volleyball from a perspective of competitiveness versus, you know, a family weekend um, or whatever. You know, you're doing your thing, just having fun with the sport. No, no, we were out there practicing. They were coaching me up, teaching me how to hit the ball, teaching me how to dig the ball. I was working with the setters. That's not my forte. I figured that out on day one. I'm not a middle blocker. Obviously, I'm only about 5'9", 5'10", so that, that's not my thing. Um, and I don't think I'm an outside hitter, but I also don't think I'm a DS either or libero or bro as they call them. But uh, it was fun. It was fun working with them. Um, you know, the women really coached me up. They enjoyed it. The energy was high, so I love going to practice and, and driving that high energy with them. Um, and I'm also going to jump in the pool with my water polo team at some point. And we're only going to work in the five-foot uh, side of the pool. Now, I'm, I, I, now, put it like this. I'm not a great swimmer at all. I can swim, but I'm not a great swimmer. So if you want me to try to tread water in a 12-foot area, you'll be asking for me to drown. Just give me a life jacket maybe, and I'll be able to play the damn sport. But uh, that's going to be fun. I'll let you guys know when, when uh, I jump in on that. Um, the football guys, listen, I don't want to interfere with football practice too much, but me and uh, Sean Holland, we were tossing the rock a couple weeks ago. And uh, we were just going through some, I don't know what they call them, progressions, uh, different type of snaps, um, play actions, a couple RPOs and whatnot. Now, obviously, we didn't have an old line in front of us or defense rushing us. It was just me and him throwing to one guy, but that was fun. Um, but I'd recommend it, man. We were talking about it with uh, my colleagues at Fordham. I recommend all strength coaches. Not I bring that back. I challenge all strength coaches to get outside your comfort zone. Be vulnerable with your athletes. It's fun. I'm telling you it's fun. I don't want to say trust me, but I'm telling you it's fun. Um, they'll develop a lot more respect for you just because you're putting yourself in a position to be vulnerable. You're not in your uh, your true environment as a strength coach. You know, we can always, you know, somewhat make the athletes look uh, less capable of doing something when we're demonstrating things like a clean or a snatch or, you know, we're, we're pausing a front squad in the basement. You know, we're getting the depth that we want to get. Um when we demonstrate things, but when we're out there on the uh, the field or the court with them and we're practicing their sport that they're so highly efficient in and, and it shows that we're not that good in that as they are, it definitely humbles you as a coach and it builds a lot of respect and a vulnerability with the athletes and I love it. I think it's great. Um, and that's that. But listen, I don't want to take up too much of your time here early. Um, and one more thing I want to say before we get to the episode, we are uh, hamstring you. I'm telling you. Check the Instagram out, Coach Gio Grassi. Um, check our Rams Strength Instagram out. You'll see all the athletes that we train doing the Nordic hamstring curl all the way down. Uh, some of our athletes even pause on the floor. They go to a dead stop on the floor where they actually unlock the knee into a fully extended position. And then they curl themselves back up. Male, female, you name it. We got them doing it. So check that out. It's really fun seeing the kids do this stuff because it's incredible stuff. Uh, and they came a very long way, especially from a six-month quarantine period where they barely had any form of uh, 
type of exercise that we would demand on them in a, um, a weight room environment. But anyway, enough with me. Let's get to this episode with uh, Coach Grasso here, and um, we'll check back in. All right. Welcome to the Toes on the Line podcast. I'm your host, Gio Grassi, and I'm bringing you my long-lost cousin, a.k.a. my evil twin, Anthony Grasso. Believe it or not, I'm a Grassi. He's a Grasso. He's singular fat. I'm plural fat. If you're Italian, that's an inside joke. But now, check this out. And I told you this, but I'm going to tell my listeners, too. I don't know what the F happened when my family came to America, but we were like half my family's Grasso in Italy. I swear to God, a heavily Grasso. I got uncles in America that are uh, Biagio Grasso is his name. But oh, we're the, okay. we're the, gra- we're the Grassies. For yeah. some reason, we got pluralized. I don't know why the I ended up at the end, but I feel like, I feel like you and I, if we take a DNA test, we're somewhat fucking related, Ant. <laughs> and we gotta be, man. We gotta be. And it's funny because, you know, that's, here's the thing though, like technically, and this is, this is, I swear I'm not making this up. My last name is actually supposed to be Stefano, So that's where I don't even, I, I think I told you the story when we were, uh, we, did, we, we met, dude, this is like, this is like, I don't know how many generations back, but I think it was like my, my dad's grandfather apparently was running from the mafia. I guess something, something went awry in a, a card game. And so he came over from Italy to America and he changed his last name from Stefano to Grasso. And even my, my, you know, my Mima, here we go. <laughs> she, she would, <laughs> she would confirm that story. So, I mean, I, listen, I don't, I don't know. You know what I mean? Because these last names, like Italian last names are, okay, as long as it ends in a vowel, we're cool, you know, but it, that's uh, that's really all all that matters. And yeah, the monster man, he must, we saw Biagi, he's like, I need to change my last name because uh, there's, there's no way I'm getting away with what, whatever he ended up doing in that card game. No one really ever knows. And for a while, the longest time, I thought it was nonsense. But I mean, here I am, I'm 29 years old, and my dad's still hanging on to that story. So it must be yeah. something. He must say he must say he must have pulled out the broomstick in the Scopa game out there, if you know what I'm saying, and whoop somebody's <laughs> yeah. ass. For anybody that doesn't know, Scopa is a big Italian card game, man. I mean. So it's At like the, the end of the day, he probably, in all honesty, he probably messed up his role in the uh, in the the, uh, the process of making the, the sauce for the year. Like you mentioned, you know what I mean? It's like I don't. He probably messed up his role in that. That's more detrimental than anything else. Yeah, get smacked with a basil leaf or something. <laughs> exactly right. It's like, what do you mean? You put the basil on? Well, you put the basil here. You put it here. You put it here. But you don't put it there. And he probably put it there. And that's he probably I- picked the tomatoes too early in the season. That's why they kicked his ass out of there. I'll tell you that much. But I'll tell you what, the, the worst thing about you is you're a Juve fan. We bleed oh. black and red in my household. AC Milan. I mean, we haven't been good recently, but. Listen, well, my, my defense is I'm not one of the, like, you know, you meet, you meet somebody from like, I don't know, like Texas and they're like, yeah, I'm a Yankee fan. It's like, okay, guy. But in, in my defense, I know Juve is obviously a little bit more of a you know, franchised team. They're a big franchise, right? Like they're Dirty a, money. More of a global brand, right? But Dirty money. Uncle Tony, <laughs> all right? My <laughs> uncle, my uncle who is from Santa Mangues, like he said, you know, he's like, you know, I was younger. He's like, yeah, we're, you know, I'm a Juve fan. And listen, if you... Then my uncle Tony, you might even actually change your mind and want to be a Juve fan. He is that convincing, and he's he's a, he's an intimidating guy. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, lovable guy. I mean, great guy, obviously. But when you're young, and Uncle Tony is coming at you, he's you know he's giving you his, his broken English, and all you hear is Juve. You know, like I guess I'm a Juve fan. You know, so that's that's my defense as to why I'm a Juve fan. Even though technically, like I said, I feel like I probably should be like a Lazio or maybe a 
Napoli. I don't know. Yeah, man. Come, come. I don't know a lot. Not, not, not be, I'll be honest now. Napoli's dirty money too, man. Back when they bought uh, Maradona back in in the eighties. For people that don't know, it, it, Italian soccer's filthy, man. The money oh. infiltrated in this dirt. I mean, it was dirty as hell. Probably cleaned up now, but right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what's dirtier, whether it's from from you know the mafia, whether it be Italian soccer or olive oil, bro. Because honestly, <laughs> they've, they've, been, they've been getting dirty in the olive oil for a long time. There's finally some regulatory uh, standards on olive oil and what you can actually put in the stores. But, man, they were sneaking some stuff in there from what I heard. So. Fucking Italians always scheming all some shit, man. Scheming, man. Right. Fucking Giuseppe on the corner scheming on how to make uh, fucking olives, you know, come out with no pits and shit, you know? <laughs> Exactly. It's, it's so funny because my mom, I mean, my mom is from Italy. So like she is that Italian connection, but she, you know, she hates the, the mob movie. She, she thinks it portrays such a, a bad, you know, image of Italians and whatnot. And she hates when I watch, you know, Sopranos and The Godfather and, you know, all Goodfellas and all that stuff. And she's just, that's, that's not who we really are. We're you know, hardworking, you know, she's, she's an immigrant and came over, you know, she, uh, she worked in, um, uh, I don't know if you've ever been in uh, Stanford, Connecticut. It's uh, a little restaurant called Polici's, but that was actually the uh, restaurant that my family lived in when they moved to uh, America from Italy. They lived in the top of the restaurant, and then my, you know, my everybody worked in, in the bottom of the restaurant where the restaurant was actually located in the foundation of that apartment. So, uh, you know, like my grandma was cooking back there. I was my grandpa, my mom. I mean, my to this point, to this day, my cousin still bartends there, actually. So, yeah, long all line through Polici, so yeah. yeah. No mechanics in your family. I feel like Italian immigrants are either you know open up a shop or or become a mechanic. My pops was a mechanic when we came over. My my dad's side of the family. My dad, okay, yeah, 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 was a mechanic and then worked his way into kind of carpentry. Just an overall like a kind of can pretty much do anything. Uh, now he's a construction manager at Yale, but um, my brother is an auto mechanic. He actually works on Volvo's. He's a, he's an auto auto technician at Angus uh, Volvo in North Haven. So yeah, like big, big car guys on, on my dad's side of the family though, a little bit more like, you know, my dad was a Harley guy, you know, cars, whatever, you know, whatever. Yeah. I think he's, you know, a little transition a little bit more to the four wheels. Once he started having five boys, you know, yeah, my mom was like, ah, you don't need to ride around on these like long Harley trips, like Laconia and bike week and wherever, you know, if, uh, yeah. so yeah. Yeah, I feel like Italian immigrants. It's like you, you got three career paths: mechanic, open up a shop, or you, or you, you, uh, you're a baker. You know, you bake bread and uh, <laughs> and sweets and shit. You know, it's like kind of, kind of, kind of slim there. You know, I don't know how the hell I became a strength coach. It doesn't really run in the DNA, but <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm fairly certain my my family has no idea. What Dude, I my dad's do. got no fucking clue what I do for a living. <laughs> no fucking clue. <laughs> Like, what are you, where, where are you going? Like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I train athletes, you know, a little physical prep stuff. Nah. You know, try, trying, to, trying to describe strength and conditioning in Italian to, like, my uncles and my dad. Um, Like, my dad just knows I go to work. And he's like, he's just, he's just his, yeah. his biggest thing is, like, to pay you good? I'm like, yeah, he's like, good, good, good. <laughs> <laughs> he's, exactly. he's always like, Javon, what the fuck you doing? I'm like, you know, exercise. The football, the soccer, and you know, got to get him big, strong. He's like, get the fuck out of it. I'm like, fuck, this guy has no fucking clue what I went to school for, what I'm doing for a living. <laughs> nah, nah. I will say that my, my Uncle Tony, when I first got this job here, you come, my Uncle Tony gave me advice. He goes, You keep your mouth shut. Yeah, you yeah, keep yeah. Your oh. eyes closed. 
you go very far in life. And I'm like, all right. So, yeah, uh, mouth shut, eyes closed, and I'm just, I'm just here. You know, <laughs> just skating through, you know. Just trying to mind your own business in life and you'll be all right. But anyway, yeah, exactly. enough about Italian culture, man. People could just text me about that. We can take, <laughs> take, exactly. take, a trip, take a trip in the house. You know, I'll bring people to my pop's house. But what's up, man? Where were you at now? You're at UConn now. I knew that. But uh, how'd you get into that role? You know, what, where were you at before UConn? I don't think I even know what you did before UConn. Yeah, man. So I was uh, by I yourself mean, a little bit here. Kind of go back. Like I, I went. I got my undergrad at Southern Connecticut State University in New Haven, uh, and around that time, I, I really wasn't involved in strength and conditioning. I didn't know. I was getting my undergrad sport management. I really had no idea what I wanted to do. I thought that was, I was the same. Be, you know, I thought I was going to be like a sport agent or something like that. You know? <laughs> I had the same mindset. Yeah, I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I was like, I like sports. I, I mean, I guess we'll just get into the business side of sports. I don't know. You know, so. Um, yeah, I mean, I got my undergrad, and then during that time, my brother was actually training, or sorry, no, it was a little bit after that, my brother was training to, he ended up playing baseball at Trinity College in Hartford, but he was training, you know, just as some private program or whatever, it was called Total Athlete Conditioning uh, in Connecticut, and so he's like, yeah, you should come by, you should just kind of like check it out, and, you know, see what's what, and maybe, maybe you know, you like exercising, like training or whatever, um, you know, what would you, uh, you know, maybe, maybe absorb something, I was like, all right, yeah, whatever, so I came by, and then um, just kind of got latched on. To, to this guy, he ended up becoming my mentor, my first, first mentor I ever had. And, and to this day, one of, one of the brightest guys I've ever had. I'm super you know, grateful, obviously, for, for him as a resource. And uh, I just fell in love with it. I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what I'm looking at or what I'm seeing. I couldn't really, I had no context, right? I was just, at that point, I was like, oh, I just see, I see movement, I see exercises. I didn't really have any sort of like understanding of like conception, you know, uh, concepts or any sort of methodology or anything like that. It was just uh-huh. kind of like, all right, you know, this is cool. This is fun, whatever. I like this. I like, you know, I like, you know this, is, this is a good way to still be involved in athletics you know because I was no longer playing sports at the time and so I was like all right you know I, I could see myself you know kind of rolling with this so I ended up uh ended up you know working in the private sector for you know six years I ended up working under this guy for six years and it was like I said incredible experience it was it was pretty much one of it was easily the most important experience that I had just because of the fact that obviously yes he provided me with a ton of great information but he was like first like couple like I think it was like the first year of knowing him he's like hey listen like if you want to if you want to learn under me and you want to be a strength coach, like you need to compete in powerlifting. And I was like, why? And he's like, because you need to understand what it's like to actually go through, you know, a full on training cycle and understand, you know, just some concepts as far as like periodization goes. Like, well, I know that, that, that term right now is a little, you know, it's debated here, you know, whatever, like the idea and the concept of going through training cycles and obviously having to have the discipline to, stick with a crew who i mean this crew that i started off with like i don't know if you ever heard of vincent desenzo he's a uh he was, he was an elite fts sponsored athlete and i believe he still is now um but he was it was his crew basically so it was him brian holly and tt mccray those two guys you know benching over 900 pounds and in a few different weight classes uh carson luca what's the other guy's name yeah drew abbott and then josh josh's last name but i mean it was a crew man like there were these guys who train like this place called Southside, and then um you know, it was like, just, you had to be there every Friday night. And then, you know, depending on when, when the squat day was, they were running like typical, like West side stuff at the time. And, um, you know, circa max bench and all that kind of stuff. But Vinny was training to, to try to hit his, his, you know, 900 pound plus bench. In, in, uh, He's a gear. I mean, this guy was just easily the best bench presser in the world. I, I know like, you know, we could talk numbers and all these, obviously there's all these new guys that have come into play, but to, like, that was my first internship. Like, that's what I told you. That was my first internship under those guys. It was, uh, you know, you keep your mouth shut. We're going to haze you. We're going to, we're going to, 
We're going to talk crap to you. We're going to make you know, you know, we're going to really, really challenge you and see if you really want to be here that badly. And to be honest with you, at first, I, I really didn't. You know what I mean? I would show up, and first day, I mean, they they shredded me, bro. Like I was, I mean, they they really like went in on me. They're like, you, you keep your mouth shut, you load plates, you watch, you learn, you listen. I mean, th- this was a profession to them. And granted, you got to keep in mind a lot of the, like Vinny decided not to have kids because he was committed to Jesus, his life here. You know what I mean? And so, and his wife, uh, you know, just the same thing. I mean, that was, that was their life. And that's what they understood that Vinny was committed to. And so it wasn't just like show up and you're just lifting with the boys. It was like, you're going to be, you need to be ready to go and you need to be locked in for like four straight hours. You know what I mean? And so we'd be in that dungeon on Friday nights and we'd just be like, and it was, it was incredible chemistry. It was, uh, you know, you, you learn to, that was where I learned to be an intern where it's like, you step into a new place. You don't come in and think, you know, what you keep your mouth shut. You learn what they, what they're trying to get across, what they believe in. And you sort of, you know, integrate yourself into the actual system and, and earn the respect of the people and earn the right to train with these guys who are obviously taking the time to invest in you and get you, you know, where you need to be. So, I mean, like, you know, all the, like whatever we were doing, that's not even more what's important. What's important was like, just that mindset they instilled in me. And so from there, you know, I was 26 at a time. I was like, I want to move into the collegiate world. So that was when I went and did an internship uh, down at the University of Alabama with Scott Cochran. And, and I was super fortunate to be able to have that opportunity. Uh, Joe, Joe Testor actually helped, helped me with that. He was working in the SEC at the time. And so from there, I had, you know, I had to come back home. Um, as you know, right, Italian moms don't want you to stray too far for too long. So I came back home and it was like, all right, I'm going to do uh, did an internship at, uh, at Quinnipiac University with Rajesh Patel, Coach B. Uh, to this day, one of, one, of, one of my best mentors, but also just, just a good friend, just a good dude, chop it up, talk about some underground hip hop with. I mean, he's just, he's just a great guy, extremely bright. Uh, and one of the more like diverse, um, just integrative styles of culture that he's established at, at QU. I mean, it's, you want to talk about a community of people who just are looking to get to know people and, and just always kind of walking around with a smile on their face, looking to learn good vibes all around. Um, came up to, to UConn after that. So I was, this is, you know, my third internship, third or well, I don't even know at that time. This was uh, spring of 2018. So January, 2018 spring semester, uh, interned under under coach Klein and JD Melhorn and JC Hull. Then I left because I was like, all right, I guess I don't know if I need to do another internship or if I can, I should start supposed to be getting a job here. So I don't really know what the deal was. Um, got it. I got a fellowship out at, uh, at the university of Denver under Matt Shaw actually. And so I was was supposed to go out there and right. And I think it was like a month before I was supposed to go out there. Coach Klein called me and he's like, Hey, you know, our professional intern, like the GA at the time is leaving. Would you want the spot? I was like, yeah, definitely. You know what I mean? Stay in Connecticut, obviously. And, you know, being from Connecticut and whatnot. So, uh, yeah. And I've been here ever since, you know, coach, coach King ended up coming in in the, uh, I believe it was uh, the spring of January of 2019. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, he just, he just keeps bumping me up. You know what I mean? Don't be up to a full-time assistant. And then, uh, nice. There you go. Yeah. You know, yeah. So here I am. And now we're, uh, now we're trying to make it through a, a pandemic. So yeah. <laughs> so, man, the, the fucking story of the grass. So grassy, man. It's yeah. like, I, <laughs> I was, I was part-time paid with Fordham for, for a couple years until last year, I got promoted to full time. So yeah, fucking. I mean, it sucks. It's a grind, but you gotta do what you gotta do, man. And you know, good for you. Congrats to you being out there. You know, Appreciate moving up in the fucking world, man. And you're doing you're doing big things out there, right? You're managing their high performance model and whatnot, right? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, once we were able to actually get our hands on catapult, um, that was super interesting. And not not that you need you know technology or sports science in order to have a high performance model, but right. I think it was it was my sort of introduction into like okay. 
here's a piece or like some sort of device that we can use to maybe sort of start generating conversation and create a connection, like a bridge the gap essentially between a sport coach, strength coach in the in the ATs. I mean, we've got great people here at UConn and, and there's a ton of great people that are working within this building, but Obviously, I think, you know, just generally, you know, through the tradition of this, you know, the American sport model is there's still going to be some sort of um, silo based decision making that happens at times. You know, I think we've all kind of just like, oh, hey, you're you're an athletic trainer. So you do things that are specific to athletic training and sports medicine and you're a strength coach. So you have to understand that, you know, your your specific role is to try to understand general preparation, get these guys stronger. And you're a sport coach. So you need to understand all the technical and tactical aspects of your sport and you know, piece them all together. And then you've got like, your, you know, your, your team nutritionists and your team doctors and, and, you know, sports psychologists and things like that. And I guess, you know, it was through kind of my understanding of, of the governing dynamics of coaching by James Smith. I, I mean, I read that book and I had a little exposure to James and, you know, just, just, uh, just his thought process. And I was like, well, it seems like there's this way where all of these people can kind of have this universal language where everybody understands each other's roles, but they also understand, everybody else's role and a little bit more about what they do and how it kind of plays a part in what their own department is trying to implement as well. And maybe that allows you to get a little bit closer to maybe taking out, even if it's just having a little bit more of a justification for what you do, or maybe it's all right, we have more of an account from a loading perspective on what the athlete is actually getting exposed to at all times. At the, at the very least, maybe it's just an opportunity to, to connect with more people who you're working with and Obviously, the medium that we all work through is the athlete. It's all you know, the football athlete, specifically here at UConn for, for us right now. Um, so it's like, you know, maybe it's just a way for us to generate more conversation and to, and to you know, have a little bit more of, a, of an understanding of each other and what we're doing, right? And it's like, yeah, at the end of the day, probably probably benefit the athlete a little bit, right? So, I, you know, and so to say that, like, I know we talked about this before we got on here. It's like, what is a high-performance model? Like, what? what's the definition? I feel like everybody's got a, a different one and, you know, some high performance model will be like, Hey, our high performance model is that we just have all of these different departments that exist. We have a nutritionist, we have a, you know, a psychologist, we work on sensory motor, technical tactics, all this stuff. So it's like, okay, that's one version of a high performance model, right? I feel like they exist, right? Like you have all of these, these, uh, these abilities right within your department. And then there's like the high performance model that you say, well, like, all right, well, we're going to figure out a way to make sure all of these things exist together. And we're going to kind of operate off of one blueprint where everybody understands what's being done at a particular point in time and how that also meshes well and complements some of the other things that are being done. So I, I kind of generate short towards the latter. Um, I think that there's a little bit more value in, in finding ways for myself to learn more about what the athletic trainer does, what their role is, uh, learn about what they believe in, you know, specifically here at UConn, obviously different athletic trainers have different beliefs. Like I want to know what our sports medicine staff believes in and their, their, you know, their models. And I want to understand, obviously from the catapult perspective, it was, it was nice to create some connection between myself and the sport coaches and have a little bit of a, an understanding of, Hey, like, you know, if I can provide you with a little bit of information, a little bit of feedback on your athletes, um, you know, and then maybe you want to provide me with a little bit of context as to like why this may or may not have happened in practice, whatever the case is, like, you know, understanding what they're interested in is obviously the most important piece, right? Because if you're not interested, you know, you're talking about something they're not interested in, they're probably not going to respond to that, you know? So I think that was, that was kind of, you know, where my interests lie. And I think coach King kind of saw that. So he's like, all right, I'm going to let you kind of just roll through. And so, I mean, to, to preface, I probably should preface by saying like, there's probably some dudes out there who have way more experience, 
and I'm actually like running a true high performance model, such as like a high performance director per se. I'm obviously just, I'm just an assistant training conditioning coach. I mean, but I, uh, I'm the dude who's sitting here and like theorizing and almost like fantasizing in some ways about all the different ways that you could actually have a high performance model. And I just, I think the fact that there are a variety of ways to do it is what's most exciting. So, yeah. Maximizing a, like a desired outcome, mm. you know, so what, what are some so-called quote unquote outcomes? Um, Cause I mean, when you do the research on, you know, HPMs and shit, it's like, they always talk about desired outcomes. You know, what's your vision? What's your mission? You know, how do you reach those, you know, those two things? How do you build to your vision and stuff like that? So like, how do you map out a four year, do you even map out four year plans? I don't think anyone does. I don't. I, I, we do. Like I, I believe. Do you really? Yeah. Like, like I, even, so, so let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. You get a guy that's getting ready. You know, he might be like a primed NFL guy. Right. You know, he might leave, you know, going into that senior year, you know, do, do you guys alter his plan the year prior if he's on that, you know, prospect list? Or kind of like he's on himself. that, yeah, he's on that trajectory. So, I mean, just, yeah. just to, just to, I, I think the four-year plan is important, again, just from like a guideline perspective. I, I, we, all we work in is guidelines, right? Like even if you have, you know, say you have a, you know, whatever, like a 16-week cycle coming up, it's like, all right, well, that's, that's great, but we know everything put down on paper per se. It's just going to be, it's a guideline, right? It's a, it's, it's just a sort, of, sort of like a checks and balances to keep you on track. And then mm-hmm. obviously you're going to make your adjustments based off of that. But um, my, one, of, one of the assistants who I, I work with actually, Andrew Smith, uh, he came up with a, a four-year football developmental model and, and, you know, I've got my own and everybody's kind of got like their own, right? Like what it would look like, but I really liked his because, so it's, it's pretty, it's, it's simple in nature in the sense that like, okay, you have a freshman coming in, they maybe like the amount of percentage of time they spend in a little bit more of a general physical preparation phase, maybe a little bit longer than obviously somebody who's been here for four years, right? And then maybe you move into, you know, your sophomore year and the percentage of time spent in, you know, a specialized physical preparation phase versus that general is going to start to shift a little bit, right? And then obviously you start to work your way towards those third and fourth years. And then you're getting to a point where it's like maybe 80% of the year is spent in some sort of specialized physical prep and then 20% in the general, like who knows, like those numbers can vary, obviously depending on the team you work with everybody's is going to be a little bit different the athletes are going to vary as well um but yeah like i I think to answer your question if you have a guy who's on that path where you're moving in a direction where you know hey uh this 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 guy has nfl talent is nfl ability um we might need to alter and adjust the plan that we had set out initially, right? The, the guideline, right? In order to try to meet him at where he's at. And, and so I, I guess like that kind of gets into the concept of, of individualizing the high performance model. And that's where, that's where I think you, it's like, all right, again, high performance model. Great. We have one. Like, what does that consist of? Right. And it's like, well, yeah. What does it consist of? Are, yeah. Like what are the different things that we can do to essentially try to find out a little bit more about the athletes we're working with, get the mm-hmm. feedback we need and kind of direct them and guide them in a way, especially when you work with a hundred football athletes, sometimes a hundred plus football athletes, it's totally different than obviously, you know, maybe a, a basketball team of 12 to 15 guys, right? Like, you know, just, just pure number standpoint, it's, it's a little bit more ideal when you could probably get to know a little bit more about the guys when you're, you know, you got 12 to 15 guys, but you got, you know, football, football group, right? It's like, all right, what, what can we do? Right. So like my, my thing is I've, I've really started to, to generate my focus and gravitate towards these, these morpho cycles. And I know that I talked to you about one and I, you know, I talked to, to, to Giorgio about one as well. Um, but you know, Maladin and, and, you know, uh, Fergus Connolly and Kim Josh, they, they had these specific you know, morpho cycles or whatever, but a morpho cycle is just a fancy name for, you know, a sort of a, a, t- a timeline or a timetable that kind of keeps in mind when competitions are taking place and obviously what type of stimulus and what type of uh, feedback or outcomes, as you said, 
our desire during that particular point in time. So mm-hmm. what I'm really trying to do is to get our team to move in a direction where we have specific themes or, uh, you know, I really want to emphasize the word theme, but desired outcome is probably the more appropriate term for specific days. Right. And, and, and obviously that can, that can change. You can, you, you can have multiple desired outcomes within a specific <clears> day. Right? You want to touch on yeah. multiple qualities, whatever. But I think, you know, just to, to, to keep it at a, a you know, surface level right now, before we get a little bit deeper, just the concept of having a piece of paper that outlines, okay, we're playing a game on Saturday. Uh, we're going to have Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. This is what those days are going to consist of. And here's how we're going to kind of vary what's done on what days, what type of stimulus is being provided to the athlete at how much Right? Are these things going to be like, what, what's, you know, what, what type of intensities are we going to provide? Why are we going to provide those specific intensities? What yeah. types of volume? How are we going to progress volume? How are we going to make sure that we're not progressing volume and intensity at the same time, right? How can we specifically design drills and practice schemes to fit the criteria of the description provided for those particular themes for that particular day, right? Like that to me is super interesting. And then, so you have that as sort of like a, almost like a, like a, like it's, it's like your base structure. It's like, all right, here's the, here's the blueprint in some ways, right? Like, you know, for lack of better terms, like the blueprint, right? You got your architect and like your, your general contractor. Look at this blueprint. It seems great. So, okay. So now what are ways that we can adjust this blueprint to try to fit the needs or the demands of a running back? And maybe this is going to, this morpho cycle is going to look a little bit different for our wide receivers, right? Mm-hmm. And now our team periods are things that we probably can't, you're probably not going to mess with them too much, at least not here, not right now. You know, I think that's, you know, team periods. It's like, all right, that's, you know, head coach's time. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I don't know my role, you know? So um, I, I think, but I think there's value when you get assistant coaches who are in control of their own individual periods who are willing to maybe just take a look at some different ways to, to structure these things. And I think what they like about it is that it provides a little context for the athletes. If the athletes know, hey, today I'm coming out and today's a strength day. And it's like, oh, what do you, what do you mean? It's a, so you guys are going to lift weights? And it's like, well, no, um, the strength is actually the word that's used to describe what type of stimulus is going to be provided to me right. throughout this whole day, right? So wow, it's like, yeah. yeah, it's like, okay, well, what is what does strength consist of, right? And then you're like, well, okay, so maybe in football, strength on the field would be things like, you know, uh, small area, change of direction, a lot of change of direction, frequent change of direction, uh, acceleration, deceleration, maybe a little bit more of a physical combativeness on that particular day. Maybe that your, your collisions that you're looking for are a little bit higher, um, you know, like a short, short yard type stuff. Right. And then maybe you, you know, that's how you kind of frame. And so the, the football coach looks like, okay, so that's what we're looking for from a, you know, from like a drill perspective, how, what about from like the qualities perspective? And it's like, well, these are the physical qualities we're looking for. Okay, I have some drills that fit those physical qualities. And then you just kind of, you work your way down the line and then you get to the point where it's like, okay, so the football coach knows what he's providing to the athlete. And then it's like, all right, when they get in the weight room, it's a strength stimulus day. So obviously we're going to maybe see some things that are a little bit more compound oriented, maybe some heavier weights, whatever the case may be, right? A little slower, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe there's some eccentric work if, if that's something that, you know, you feel it needs to be done. Um, and then, you know, and then you look at the, um, you know, so you get the complementary physical prep and then you look at the complementary sort of, you know, prehab rehab stim stimulus and, and maybe the ATs are looking at like, okay, I know that this is what's provided the athlete. Maybe I need to provide something in that same framework as well. And then you, and then, you know, when you really get it down to, to it's, uh, to, to, you know, when you, get, when you get everything locked in, you got the nutrition that is guided to help the athletes recover specifically for what stimulus are provided for them on that day. So yeah. that's, that's cool. And that's just one example of like the, the themes I think that we like to use um, would be strength, but it's, you know, so that, 
that gives the guys a little bit of context. And, you know, I don't, I don't know. Is that, I don't want to like bore you guys with like uh, all the different themes. There's a couple more that we go with where you really like outline, you know, the rest of the week. And, you know, I, I like to, I got, uh, you know, Shay, uh, Shay Thompson. He's one of the strength coaches for the 49ers and he's, he also um, handles our catapult, but he really outlined the concept of deciding what, you know, how much is done based off of snaps and reps. So that to me is super interesting. Like I love the idea of like, you know, who knows, like the next place I go, I probably won't have catapult, right? Like it's a, it's a rare, it's a luxury to have. It's a bonus. I like the idea of using my ability as a coach and my coaching eye to make decisions and understand you know, just basic physiology and understanding what is going to be provided to a particular athlete on a particular day. And then using the catapult as more like a checks and balances in a way. And then sort of like a confirmation or denial, right? Like an, um, what happened and tracking. And I feel like you, there's a lot of noise that can come your way when it comes to looking at data every single day, right? Like, yeah, like, too much noise. Yeah. Too noise. I mean, you check, 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 check the stock market every single second, right? Like you're going to be hit with a lot of noise, right? But if you check maybe once a week or, you know, which I know nobody probably does, but you know, those, the, the feeling that you get inside and what you pay attention to in terms of valuable information may change. Obviously, if I have, if I'm taking a little bit more of a, a you know, a long-term approach to it, and really, I'm, I'm really trying to, you know, get a little bit more valuable information as opposed to just the signal, you know, and then, you know, we can get worked up over that, uh, or sorry, the noise, you know, we can get worked up over the noise, you know, and, and that happens. Yeah. Now, it's, it's, I like how you tied the stock market into that shit, because I'll be honest, I've been checking the stock market every single day since the yeah. first day I've invested, but I don't do it to a point where I'm like, Oh God, this company's values down. Oh, they're booming. I, I look at it and then I kind of get the, um, you know, I, I check the temperature. It's like, okay, what's yeah. going on in the economy? What's going on? And then, you know, I kind of make, you know, my quote unquote investment decisions there. And I guess you could do the same thing with these performance models and things like catapult or, you know, like a gym aware. It's like, Hey, you know, look at the information, but don't, don't make your coaching decision based on that information. Just check the temperature of the room. Okay. All right, guys are a little bit slower today. You know, they might be highly fatigued. What the hell can we change a little bit to get these guys back up to par? You know, I, I think too many people rely on the shit. Well, right. I don't want to say too many people because I don't know people who really rely on it, but I, I, I feel like there are a lot of people that rely on things like they need a catapult or they need a gym aware. And, and it's funny because when we first got gym aware, we got rid of catapult, got gym aware. Mm. I loved it just to the point where I'm like, hey, you know, guys can compete. They can understand what intent behind the barbell feels like now. But then yeah. it got to the point where, oh, coach, the iPad, this, oh, coach, oh, the iPad's not connected. And I'm looking at numbers. I'm like, what the fuck's going on? I'm looking at too many damn numbers. And it's like, okay, are we moving the bar fast, number one? Yes. Are we in our zones? Yes. That's all I need to know. You know, yeah. I don't need, I, you know, and then I look at, hey, you did 300 pounds last week compared to this week. I might look at that stuff, but I'm not going to make any definitive jump in my program. We're sticking to the call. You know, like we still got week three, we still got week four. You know, right. we're not changing the damn thing unless you're hurt. Right. Yeah. And I, and I think that's, I think that's a good way to look at it. Like I said, like the stock market is like, and I think that they, they did, um, they did a study. So obviously like when you look, when you look at the stock market, this is from, a um, Taleb's book, uh, fooled by randomness. It's like, you know, they did a study and it's like, okay, well, obviously when you look at, you look at your Robinhood account or whatever, right. And you see maybe, maybe you're down on the day or something like that. Right. Um, the, the psychological effect that you feel from that, what they call negative pangs, right? It's like when you look in your initial reaction, you see that red, right? And it's it, like the psychological effect that it has on your, yeah. and your, your overall stress system, um, it, it, it feels a certain way, right? And then when you look mm -hmm. on certain days, right, you see you're in the green, right? And you're like, oh, wow, growing up, like this is exciting, right? But they found that the detriment of the negative pang is much more than the positive green that you may feel, right? So, um, you know, they kind of advise like, yeah, just look at, look at things from a little bit more of a global perspective. And so that's where it's like, I, when I first got catapult, I was so 
married to it in some ways. You know, it's not really the best word to use, but it's kind of really what it was. Like I was so infatuated with it because in my opinion, I like to be kind of where my feet are. And, you know, if you're everywhere, you're nowhere kind of thing. It's like, if I want to be, if I really want to understand something, you know, I want to dig all in on that at that particular point in time. So I went all in on catapult and I was like, I'm going to find out as, pretty, you know, as much as I possibly can and learn as much as I possibly can. And so I was using it and it got to the point where I was like, man, I, I paid attention to everything all the time. Every single data piece of data that I could find, it was almost, it was too much data to the point where I'm like, I'm not actually connecting with the coaches because, or at least not yet, you know, like from on a, on a surface level, I was like, they were interested in the idea, but it was just an idea. And it's like, well, we're not using this yet. Um, we're not executing anything yet because it's just, you're paying attention to too many different things. It's like zone in, find out first what the coaches are interested in, because that's more important than what you're interested in. Because obviously the only way to get them on board is if you're talking about things that they're interested in. Right. So I'm like, what, what metrics do you like? And maybe some of them like distance, maybe some of them like explosive movement, maybe some like whatever you like, I'm cool with that. We're going to fit that into the model. Right. And I'll track it. And it's a good way to just kind of understand what's required of it. And now it doesn't mean that I don't base any decisions off of what catapult tells me. I still, you know, uh, you know, shout out to, to Joel Reinhardt up at, at UMass. I mean, he's done a great job of trying to get information out there to people on how to take a look at game demands. Cause that's kind of part of what whole change, change this whole thing from the GDC is, it's like, you need to look at what the sports asking and demanding of the players. And you need to work backwards from there. So it's like, if I know that, and I basically got it down to where I, I know, you know, say uh, I have a, a DB in my system that, you know, averages 55 snaps a game. This is the amount of distance. This is the amount of explosive movements, the amount of player load. This is the amount of, you know, you know whatever, like high speed distance they need to be exposed to or need to be prepared for in order to be ready for the games. Right. So I have that for each player, you know, for each, uh, for each position and whatnot. I have all these things where right? we take a look at the game data for sure. And we'll make some decisions off of that. But uh, I thought that going off of snaps and reps, was the coach's language. And I thought that was a little bit more of a, a way to make that connection. And then I can use the catapult to then provide and guide and just sort of make decisions and adjust based off of what's happening each day. You know, that, that's me. Makes <laughs> sense because, you know, at some point in time, like, like I said, next stop, I might not have catapult, you know, I, just, I, might, yeah. have to, I might have to do it without any technology. And so I want to be, I want to be prepared to do that. You know, And I'm a coach first. I'm not, I'm not a, you know, I, I do believe in, in the integration of sports science and, and obviously bringing the lab to the field and, the, and, you know, getting coaches, sport coaches to integrate and to, to communicate with sports scientists and understanding how they can really mesh and how they can complement one another. I, I believe in that firmly. And we're, you know, that's, that's kind of, uh, you know, separate side. That's kind of what we're, we're trying to really implement here at UConn next. It's kind of those next steps. Um, and I can talk about that too, but I, I think, you know, just from this perspective of understanding having context and being able to be a coach first and, and then make decisions after, you know what I mean? I, you know, Create a, create a plan. You have your plan, you got your themes, you have your specific volumes that you want, you know, snaps and reps based off of, you know, game day averages and whatnot. That's great. And let's do that. And then let's just kind of see what that gives us as far as the catapult goes. And then we'll make some adjustments if we need to, you know. Yeah. What, when did, when did you start working with, uh, with tech? Were you at Bama or is it? A, so was I, was, it I was fortunate enough. Uh, Clay, Clay and Keith, um, he was a, uh, he was involved in the sports medicine department down in Alabama when I was down there. And that was, they had catapult when I was down there. I wasn't like super involved by any stretch of the imagination. I was just, you know, more so, uh, you know, a, a, an interested kid, you know, I was just interested in trying to figure out as much as I could. So, you know, he, he kind of, he kind of caught me, uh, just like snooping around the, uh, the training room one afternoon. And, and I was looking for Jeff Allen, the, the head of sports med down there. And he's, a uh, you know, he's, he's a stud. So I'm like looking for him. Like, I just want to ask him some questions. And you know, he, 
Clayton sees me just like roaming around, right? And it's probably like, what's 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 this intern doing in here? Like, <laughs> like what? Like he's probably thinking to himself, like, damn, I gotta I gotta rally this kid. I gotta get him. I gotta you know corral him and get him somewhere else. He's not supposed to be in here or whatever. And he's like. He's like, hey man, uh, can I help you? And I was like, yeah, I was looking for Jeff Allen. You know, as if as if like Jeff Allen was somebody you could just like walk in and just talk to, right? You know what I mean? And just like, yeah, yeah. we're looking for Jeff Allen. You know, he's like, um, I was like, yeah, I'm uh, I'm interested in this like, catapult stuff or whatever. I had some questions on some things, and he's like, oh well, you know, I'm the catapult guy. I mean, I'd be more than happy to just sit down and show you some stuff. And I was like, well, seems like I'm in the right spot. It's perfect. So he, I was fortunate enough that he took the time to really show me a lot of like different usage patterns and understanding how to read certain things and how to make certain decisions. Again. That was also specific to just Alabama. Every single program has got different ways of using Catapult. And so yeah, yeah. I'm always interested in, in how other people do things, but I needed to figure out how we can use Catapult to solve some of the problems that UConn specifically has. Or, or even if even if you have to decide first if your team even has specific problems that can be solved through technology. That may not always be the case, but that was my first exposure to um to catapult and it was super raw and I still basically had to start from scratch once we actually got the, the units up here in uh, at UConn back in you know August so uh, but I feel like I've learned at a, at a, at a good pace you know good good enough you know yeah, to yeah. be able to put, put some things into play because I was going to say I don't, I don't know what your opinion is but I, I think I think everyone that's <clears throat> getting into you know coaching at a high level I, I feel like stay the fuck away from the technology for as long as you can for a couple years learn how to develop that coach's eye then start using all those gadgets when you start to have questions. Cause I feel like too many people want it just cause you know, a big school or, you know, big teams using it. And they're like, Oh, we need this win. It's like, well, what questions do you need to answer? And I feel like too many people fall into the trap of this is the next big thing. All universities are using when it's really like, maybe they could budget for that type of shit. You know, like I, I got a buddy of mine at Ohio state and he's like, they got Omega wave. They got X, they got Y, they got Z. And it's like, cool. Listen, when you're using it for recruiting the best of the best, you fucking got it. But at the same time, it's like, what questions do you need to ask to have this type of shit around, you know? Because I wouldn't know what to do with it within Omega Wave. You know, it's like, <laughs> I, I like a whoop band seems great, but listen, I could get a sleep cycle on a, on a basic app on the phone that could just, you know, measure movement on the bed, you know, restless nights of sleeping versus a good night. And then a simple question, you know what I'm saying? Like, how'd you sleep last night, Ant? Pretty, right. pretty good. All right. Or if it's shitty, I could probably see it in your fucking face at 6 a.m. and say, Ant, wake the fuck up. <laughs> Right, exactly. It, you know, exactly. Mark, it's it's so true. I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. You know, I mean, listen, if it was up to me, I'd have a fucking a Nord board and a force plate and maybe some, some type of speed unit, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, an outside speed unit, you know, or in a weight room speed unit, like a gym aware or something. But that's really it, you know, yeah. but I mean, I mean, I'm not into too much, too much tech and shit like that, but no, I, I couldn't agree with you more, man. And I think that's important for, especially for, you know, the young list. I mean, I'm not, I'm not like super old. I'm only 29, but like, I, I do think that yes, getting, getting exposure to just understanding coaching and not understanding the human body through a piece of technology. Like we have to understand, and this is where, this is where I think that we make some mistakes as far as what we do here. And, um, you know, like, you know, American sports structure is we need to really give, younger coaches, right? It's just some exposure to understanding the human body and understanding like, okay, yes, you have this like very like technical piece of like formal education that you might be exposed to, you know, and everybody took AMP one and two and exercise physiology and biomechanics and all that stuff. It's like, it's great. Like it's, it's great stuff. Like I'm not saying that that stuff isn't important. It, it really is, but understanding 
the technical side and then understanding methodology and understanding concepts and then figuring out how to kind of bridge the two based off of the interaction and the connection that you've created with the athlete that you're working with or with the coach that you're working with. Right. Because I think it's like, we get so tied to certain things. Like I'm, I'm just reading this book right now and in it, it talks about how block periodization is the premier method. That's the shit right there, man. Right. And so, I mean, and, and it's great, like, if you believe in block periodization. And, and so the more I read about block periodization, like, and when I was younger, I always thought I was running a block model. But the reality was I was probably running a little bit more of a vertical integration because it's like, well, yeah, I thought I was running block models because I had particular thing, particular qualities that were emphasized over other qualities at particular points in the year. But at the same time, all of the qualities that I felt were needed for the athlete that I was working with, since we've always worked in short training cycles anyway, it's not like we have four years to prepare these guys for the Olympics. We're working yeah. in you know, whatever, eight weeks in training cycles to get these guys ready for you know camp all the qualities are present at all times. So I'm thinking, myself, I, don't really, I don't really run a block periodization model. I probably run a little bit. And then, you know, and the first book I ever really read was, you know, triphasic training or whatever. And it's like, you know, I'm like, okay, do I, it's so, and then you have Malad and Yana, which now basically comes out. And I think, you know, John Kiley does a ton of stuff, really challenging all thoughts on periodization and, you know, whether or not there actually is such a, such a thing. But I think it's, it's interesting. Like I'm reading the book and I'm saying to myself, well, if I had absolutely no context or any exposure to any of the other sort of concepts out there, I would immediately think, okay, block, block periodization, then that's the king. Like I must, I'll, I can never, I should never really understand much else because why would I waste my time understanding anything else? This is the premier method in trying to understand, you know, training high level athletes. And, um, you know, and then you get into like, you know, the value in training, you know, athletes who are not high level. I thought some of the best coaching experience I ever had was getting exposed to coaching, you know, eight to 12 year old kids, you know, I was working in the private sector athletes who were just trying to fit, you know, if you can coach those guys and then you can coach anybody. And I think, but I, I agree with you. I think it's important for us to understand, just get, get an understanding of the human body as much as you possibly can as, as chaotic and as, as, you know, unpredictable as that human body is, but then figure out other ways to try to piece together. Like you said, the, the, the technology and the tools, sometimes I feel like people just have it just to say they have it. And I get it from a recruiting perspective. I understand it's important. Um, but if you're not using it and you're not, you know, kind of using it to sort of guide uh, or maybe, like I said, kind of confirm or deny some of the things that you see, then I just don't know like how much value it truly has if the coaches aren't truly bought into it either. And if you can't find a way to make it, you know, a little bit more. And again, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm doing a good job doing that. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out, right? Like every single place is going to have different, different questions and different answers. But like you said, I mean, it's a great way to put it. Like you have questions does this piece of technology help you get closer to finding the answers to those questions? And if not, then you probably don't need to spend all that money on it. You could probably yeah. spend that money better elsewhere, you know? So mm -hmm. yeah, I agree. It, to be honest, after my initial like burst and surge into the world of technology and sports science, it's something that will, it excited me greatly and it will always excite me. Oh, it excites everyone. Yeah. Yeah. But it was kind of exciting getting back. To, it was kind of refreshing just getting back to when Shay Thompson opened my eyes, like, you just go off of snaps and reps when you're trying to, you know, manipulate load for the day. It's like, cause you know, you're not, you're not always going to have catapult. I was like, that's kind of cool. Now, now I feel like a coach again. I feel like someone who's not just deducing the human body to, to numbers. You know what I mean? Again, deduce probably isn't the best word because it makes it seem like it's a little something less than it actually is. Like it's important to have that data. I do see value in it, but at the end of the day, I, I enjoy coaching. I enjoy the, the, the coach's eye is the first thing that I was really told I needed to develop through Charlie Francis, right? Everybody said he always had the best coach's eye out there. And I wanted to be somebody who can make decisions on the fly and not, you know, 
you know, there's times in football practice, I'm just standing behind this laptop. I got this like tent, you know what I mean? And these like catapult. <laughs> it's cool. It's cool. It's cool. But like, you know, yeah, I'm a coach. Man. Like, yeah, I wanna... You're doing that. And every other coach is out there in the fucking heat looking at you like this fucking clown over there sitting in the fucking shade. Yeah, who's this loser? <laughs> who's this loser? Keeps running back and forth trying to like, oh yeah, coach, uh, this guy's at uh, you know, he's got this much distance and he's already at 4,000 yards or something. You know, it's like, Get your hairy Italian ass back under that. <laughs> Nobody trying to hear what you got to say about catapult. Oh man, I, and I get that too. Like that's that's the other piece to it too. Is like I think a lot of you know young strength coaches, myself included, right? You get into uh, a particular sport, it's already got its own tradition and it's already got its own culture. And I think you need, I think you need to be sensitive to that. When I was younger, I was like, no, man, I'm coming in. I'm going to change everything. I, I know where the flaws, I know where everything is wrong. I got to fix everything. It's like, well, you know, at the end of the day, man, like, catapult doesn't measure adrenaline. It doesn't measure, measure emotion. doesn't measure passion. Like it doesn't measure it, heart. None of that shit, man. It doesn't measure those things. And it doesn't measure the mind and the psychology of what is being done. I, I just, I think there's a lot there. I think there's a lot we don't understand there still. So I, I'm not willing to put myself in a position to, to talk about something that I just have no idea about. Like maybe there is something to be said about, you know, how our coach perceives something. Maybe there is some, maybe there is something positive in terms of nostalgia. I don't know. I would have never said this like three years ago. I'd be like, no, this is the plan. This is, I, I know this, this is what's right for our athletes. And I, I still believe in those things, but I, I really do feel like you will get farther by understanding that compromise and understanding how to, you know, th th this is where I think some sport scientists, you know, in my experience have, have made some mistakes, right? Where they come in and they want to tell a coach like, hey, you know, this is, this is what you need to be doing. Like, this is what we, we've run research on this. This is proven methods right? this is what it is. And it's like, well, uh, first of all, if you want to talk about, you know, what the, the term evidence-based actually means, I think everybody needs to go visit uh, some of Miladin Ivanovich's work because I, I think he's got some. That's your boy, problems. man. I really like Miladin. I do. He, he, I gotta like change his last name. I know. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, called yeah. grass. Well, yeah, <laughs> some, some with a, some with a vowel at the end of it, you know, some with an O or an I, but I, I, you know, I, I like him because I initially gravitated towards it because I really like the whole, you know, kind of, I don't know, I don't even know, can you say the word anti-establishment? I don't know. Like, that's kind of like what, I, I, li I like that. I like people who are willing to challenge some of the traditional methods and thoughts that have been used. And I, I, I still see a lot of, you know, issues that are, are taking place within specific models and, and specific departments and specific sports, right? It's usually, a, a lot of times it's a sport thing, but you know, I, I just, I think there's a lot of ground to be gained. There's a lot of really, really smart individuals. And one of the, some of the smartest individuals, believe it or not, that we have on our staff are our football players. They will give you the best feedback that you can possibly imagine. Like you said, I say it all the time to these guys. I, have, I collect RPE, right? And I do, you know, readiness assessments. And we, you know, we pair them with the catapult and whatnot. It's great. But at the end of the day, like having the conversation with the athlete, be like, hey, man, what's going on? How you feeling? What was, what was the past couple of nights been like? You know, maybe their, maybe their girlfriend broke up. You know, I mean, whatever whatever the case is, right? Like, it's just I, I don't know. You know, I I think there is still a lot there, and I've kind of slowly started gravitating back towards that a little bit after really being super you know ingrained in the numbers and the technology for a little while, or as much as someone like myself can be. I'm not like I'm not I'm no genius, and like I said, there's probably some dudes out there who are doing it way better and more efficiently than I am, and doing it for way longer than I am too. But I do think. Um, you know, there, there is something to be said about, yeah, just gaining that context, using your players as allies and giving feedback, getting feedback from them. And then also understanding, you know, I see you guys um, also understanding um, 
you know, what your coaches want, like what do, what do they want? And, and learning from your athletic trainers. I mean, some brilliant, like, listen, every strength coach has an opinion on an athletic trainer. Some brilliant athletic trainers out there, some really, really smart individuals. The first thing I did when I got to UConn is I asked one of the athletic trainers, I said, every Wednesday, you can meet with me for a half an hour. You can provide me with some material. I'll study it over the week. I want you to assume I'm the dumbest dude you know, and I know absolutely nothing about anything. You know, teach me about your protocols. Teach me about what you guys do in here. Like, I, I think that that stuff goes a long way. And say I didn't learn anything, at least I, at least I created a connection, and they, they trust me, and they realize I'm not that dumb of a, an Italian coming in here just trying to you know, buzz balls. You know what I mean? So, yeah, fucking goomba in here trying to make yeah. friends with everyone, right? <laughs> <laughs> I just think there's ah, there's so much value there. Like if people just talk to one another, you know what I mean? If you just talk and you listen to people, it's like, yeah, you know, uh, every athletic trainer, like, yeah, no, no strength coach ever had a good idea. And every strength coach, like, yeah, no athletic trainers ever had a good idea. And it's like, it's, you know, it, you, I think the, the places where it's worked most effectively is when a high performance model comes together where people understand and want and have the interest to learn more about other people's roles. Like the football coach who wants to learn more about physical preparation, because in all honesty, right. If the football, if sport coaches ever decided they wanted to go in the route of really understanding all of these concepts, all these models, I mean, I think, you know, it's, uh, what's his name? Uh, Mike, Mike Gonango says it, and he's like, we wouldn't have jobs. You know what I mean? And hence the reason yeah. why this position actually still exists is because, you know, there just may not be a particular interest there. Like, I, mean, I can't speak for everybody, right? But I think the sport coach who wants to understand a little bit more about physical preparation, a little bit, understand a little bit more about sports medicine, the sports medicine professional who wants to understand a little bit more about both, right? And, you know, the nutrition aspect, all these things. Like the, the more we can learn about each other's respective roles and come together, I think you really start to develop a high performance model when you when you create that in your hiring processes, right? Like you create a hiring mm. process that's like, hey, man, I know you're a stud. You've been recommended by all these people and, you know, whatever. Like maybe, you know, he or she comes in and, they know a ton about nutrition and they've really done, you know, a ton of formal education work. They've got a ton of practical experience as a practitioner or whatever the case is. But it's like, but I just, you know, maybe a quick question at the end of the, in, the interview is what's, uh, what's your level of interest in, uh, in understanding some like technical or like maybe understanding some tactics about sport. And they're like, Oh no, that's not me. I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just a strength coach. You know what I mean? I don't, uh, I don't get into all the that stuff. You know what I mean? It's like, well, actually you probably should, you know, take the time to understand those things. And again, if they're not interested in it, I'm not, you know, it is what it is. Like, I, you know, you can't make people, you can't force people interested in things, but I think there, I think you get closer to this high performance model. If you are starting to generate interviews that are based off of people's interests and not just off of their credentials or whatever criteria they meet from a, you know, letters after their name standpoint, you know, I mean, we can, I don't want to get into all that stuff, but you know, hey, you know what I'm trying to say. No, nah, no, nah, definitely, man. Definitely. And it's almost like, how am I trying to say this? It's, it's, it's almost like everything works full circle. It's like, hey, what's, what's the strength guy's plan? Football's got their plan. We all, the head coach always going to know what the fuck he's doing. But what's the strength guy's plan? Um, what do you call these guys? The athletic trainers. It's like, hey, when a guy gets hurt, what's your plan for, you know, X injury, Y injury? You know what I'm saying? So the, it, it's dope that you said, you know, include that in your hiring process. Cause it's like, you're trying to fill in some gaps who, who can, who can cover those gaps more for you? You know, is, is it, you know, a friend you're trying to hire? Is it, you know, somebody who can really get the fucking job done, but right. going back real quick, cause you mentioned, uh, I don't know if you said, I forget if you, you said you used it or you have developed a four year model. Now mm. I'll be honest. I only, I create four month models. So I, you know, fall semester, spring semester, summer, right. uh, that that's how I, program my shit. I don't, I don't believe in periodization just because I don't, I don't know. Um, the conversation they have with, you know, past coaches and whatnot. And it kind of goes back to when I was with the giants, coach Wellman kind of shed light on it. Mm -hmm. His biggest thing was like, you know, 
periodization is bullshit. It only exists with Olympic athletes. And his thing was like, periodization is a huge plan that leads to one event. Whereas a football guy, and we'll use NFL because at the time, the conversation revolved around NFL players. He's like, hey, we're trying to peak 16 times in the four-month you know, in a, in a four month window, there's no such thing as, Hey, we're going to work here. We're going to get strength. We're going to create power and bam, we should be good to go. Cause he's like, guess what? By then it's week nine. And if you're fucking zero and eight, what's the point? What's the point of continuing to play hard? If you know, you're not going to make the playoffs, but I don't know what your thoughts are on periodization, but that's, that's kind of where I resonate on it, where it's kind of like, Hey, it, it doesn't exist unless it's a four year plan. You know, I'm semester by semester and then summer, you know, so it's, you know, what can I accomplish in the fall? How can I continue to bring that into the spring and what can I accomplish in the spring? And then, you know, when the kids go home, who knows what they're doing, but what can we kind of accomplish there to when we come back in the fall, boom, we can hit the ground running again. But uh, yeah. what, what's your thoughts on periodization, man? Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, fuck, I got the gun to the head now. What's up, man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy because, like, you know, I don't want to be the guy who sits here and he's like, yeah, man, like, all periodization is nonsense and, like, all that stuff. I, I, I think, you know, I mean, maybe periodization isn't the right word. You know, maybe maybe what we're talking about here is, uh, you know, like I said, we have a, a plan or like a guideline. Like strategic planning should be the word. Yeah, like I think right. I, I think you know having a four year like plan as far as not necessarily the, the X's and O's, right, the details, but as far as understanding like where you'd kind of like to get that athlete to by the end of the the year. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, and of course it's going to change. So you know, like periodization, whatever. I think the the, the terminology used is just more semantics, right? Like again, that that might just be noise, right? Like at the end of the day, like whatever mm-hmm. term you want to use to describe it, if we have a model set in place and some sort of like direction that we would like to head in. I think it's good that even if you get a chance to say you're, you know, in year two and you look, you look to the plan and you say, Hey, yeah, you know, I thought, I thought we would be here, but we're not. And I'd like to, you know, or maybe we're farther ahead of that or, Hey, maybe like, you know, this is kind of where I was planning on having them year two, but it just doesn't, just not flowing right with based off of the things that have happened in the past year, some of the injuries that we've had, some of the experiences that this team has had as a, from a psychological perspective, some of the, you know, the, the way my integration and the way my, my relationship with the coach is going good or maybe not, you know what I mean? Like just that to me is the periodization that takes place. It's like an active periodization. Like you like, you know, I'm, I'm going to have like a four month like a plan or an idea or a concept, but what happens within that is going to change based off of everything that's happening on a day to day basis. And that's, Again, like I hate to beat a dead horse, but I, that's why I love what Maladin is doing because he's trying to create an environment where coaches understand that the world of sport, especially team sport, is completely unpredictable. It's chaotic. There are a lot of things that are going to happen that are not going to be you know, able to be seen in advance, right, and prepared for and planned for and understanding how to adapt and adjust and also make decisions before and maybe after, right? And that's And it's so funny because it really gets into like, this this book I'm reading the the whole fooled by randomness thing it's really you know it's 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 all part of um you know Nassim, Nassim Nicholas Taleb's four part series the Inserto where um, the second book I believe is the Black Swan but it's really all based around this Black Swan event right the 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 Black Swan like you really rarely ever see a Black Swan it's an event that ha- like coronavirus boom that's a Black Swan whether people want to believe it or not when you're looking at it specifically from the stock market perspective, right? Like um, on March 23rd, right? If you look at most, if you look back, you know, three or four months, right? Like there's a massive dip there, right? Because that was a black swan. It was kind of an unforeseen event. And so I think that instead of looking at the black swans or these like unpredictable events that take place, right? Which is kind of like what we, I feel like anybody who gets to the point where, like you said, you know, the guy with the giant well, when he, he, periodization is nonsense or whatever. It's, you know, it really only works when you're looking at more 
uh, Olympic style setups and whatnot. I think what everybody's getting at is we need to start accounting more for those black swan moments. And we can't just take a look at them as, oh, those are just one off. You know, we don't need to pay attention to that. Right. That may work in certain scenarios. Like when you're, you know, your math teacher, you're, you're, you're trying to, you're trying to scheme for a grade. You're like, Hey, can you mind dropping that last quiz grade? Because uh, that's really screwing up my average here. You know, that, that (laughs) I strode up, you know what I mean? Or, you know, some, some other things like that, but like, we don't work in the world of, of you know, symmetrical prob- probabilities where it's like we understand what's going to happen from a day-to-day perspective and every single day, right, the things that can happen are evenly weighted. That's just not the case, right? We have a ton of different qualities that are taking place. Every athlete is going to bring different qualities. Yeah, a ton of different variables, ton of different levels to those specific variables in terms of what the athletes are capable of in each specific quality on each on any given day. Um, Obviously, the, the level and how much time it takes to recover from certain things is going to differ based on the quality that was touched on. So that's its own, that's its own beast too, right? So it's like, I just, I think that really understanding how to have sort of an adaptive and an adjustable model uh, based off of, you know, what, what, you, what you plan to do, but also making the adjustments is important. But I think, I think having an idea though of like where you want to go, for example, of like, all right, year one, get an athlete in. Um, say it's, say it's maybe like your second or third year. So you're not trying to like establish a culture anymore, generate buzz. Like you've got the athlete's attention and you're starting to establish kind of who you are. Right. Uh, and, and what you, what your operation wants to, to look like, right? Like maybe at that point you'd say like, all right, year one, um, these are the movements and the exercises in the weight room that I want these guys to be really technically proficient at. If you're someone who really takes pride in the technical, like I'm someone like, as you know, from, like I said, the roots of all the powerlifting things, like I can't have a guy set up for the squad. Like I understand things are going to make adjustments and things may happen and no rep reps aren't perfect, especially in team sports. I get that. They don't need to be Olympic lifters. Trust me. Everybody's told me that and they've made it very clear. I get it, but I still think think there's value in having a plan which utilizes training and utilizes specific methods and qualities within training, like such as, you know, sprint techniques, sprint preparation, um, the weight room itself, whether it be like the squat, the bench, clean, whatever you're into, right? Med ball throws, like specific levels of operation that you want your athletes to execute and stay disciplined to so that they can develop that discipline and that understanding and that respect for the training process through the training process. Like, I think that there's more of a, a periodization model that can be had for that particular setup where, you know, by the time year four comes, that that, that player has been through four years of understanding what it is that you want your athletes to look like and how you want the weight room operation to run, how you want the weight room and the, the, you know, how things run when you're out on the turf, how you want it to look when, when your football coach comes down and sees, you know, Hey, you know, this is the specific tempo that these guys work at. And this is the specific pace that these guys work at. And, you know, this is how we, this is how we lift the bar out. This is how we take the bar. This is how we approach the bar. Here's Mm -hmm. how we approach like those things to me, I know this, this isn't really about like the high performance model, you know what I mean? But that, that to me is a high performance model. That's saying to yourself, hey, I know what I value and I know what I value at the end of the day is putting together high character guys and bringing together, a, a, you know, yes, performance-based, you know, methodologies and stuff like that. But putting together high quality, high character guys through the avenue of training, right? So having a respect for understanding, hey, we're not just going to, you don't just get to jump in. It's not just, you know, crank the, crank the music, get the chalk going and we're just at it. We're just back squatting. We just squat. You know what I mean? It's like, no, like there needs to be a respectable approach to how we build these guys up and expose them to some of the more higher intensities, you know, for a long duration of time. So I think, I think understanding those things and, and kind of having a thought process as far as that stuff goes is important to have for every single one of your athletes. You know what I mean? 
having a specific setup as far as like what exercises they're going to be exposed to in specific years and whether you move from velocity-based training, you know, or, or to velocity-based training from some sort of like more generalized, you know, preparation. Like, like you said, like that, that can vary, you know what I mean? But I, I think at the end of the day, it's like, let's just figure out what we want this, these guys to look like and how we want this operation to run and allow these guys to get to a point where they take so much pride as seniors in what you have created that they are going to make sure that every single freshman who comes in here has to understand, you know, how to pay the due diligence, how to stay, you know, what we're, what are we doing in terms of spotting coach? Like do we stay, you know, I think spotting is one of the most underrated tools to develop discipline in weightlifting because mm-hmm. it forces you to keep an eye on the, the training habits of your pattern. Uh, sorry, the training patterns of your, of your partner. Right. And also understand, uh, you know, staying true to being within the moment, right. You, you finish your set, but now it's not about you anymore. It's about understanding what you need to do to make sure that you're, teammate is safe and understanding, you know, some of the habits that they may have when it comes to training and coaching them. And, and, you know, I, I feel like that's, you know, I don't know, that sounds nuts, but I feel like that's kind of part. Of nah, bro. I don't know about you, but I lose my shit when someone's supposed to be spotting someone, but he's over there. He's having a fucking conversation with the guy two feet next to him. Or if a guy's benching and the guy's spotting him, he's got his fucking hands on his hips. Dude, I lose my fucking yeah. mind, bro. Oh, my Just cause in the back of my head, I'm like, if that fucking kid gets hurt, it's not on you. It comes back to me, big dog, and I ain't trying to lose this pay because I got bills exactly. to pay, brother. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, no, it does. It develops way more discipline because I always tell the kids, you know, day one, they come in as freshmen, I say, hey, look, the most important person in the weight room is a spotter, not the coach, yeah. you know, because coach, I'm, I'm walking around, I'm watching this guy, watching that guy, but if you guys are working with each other, hey, look, if, if, if he fucks up, it's got to fall back. But like, you got to wake up, man. You got to be fully engaged, like, for the full 60 minutes we're in here, from warm up to spot to, you know, the last damn thing we're doing. But Right. Uh, nah, man. I mean, that's that's critical, man. Big time. But yeah, no, for sure. I, I I completely agree. And like I said, like sometimes I've. It's not, it's not again. It's not to say that you, you walk into a weight room where I'm coaching you, and like everything looks perfect and they're robotic and they're rigid and they're. You know, I, I do think there is. A, I would like it to. You know, I, I when I was working in high school, you know, like football coach came down one day and he was like, "Man, these guys are operating like a, a well-oiled machine. They look like a bunch of. It just looks like a unit, you know." And and that made me feel good. And that's what I wanted to, to achieve no matter where I went. I was like, you know what? I, I think you know, that was confirmation enough for me that there's value in having your athletes understand the way you're going to train and how to take pride in the training process and understand the difference between training and obviously just working out and getting a sweat. And I think, you know, those, those things to me are, are so important. You know, I, I feel bad because I, I want to give your listeners this like four year, like descriptive, you know, model on like how we develop a high performance model and stuff. But like at the end of the day, like to me, like my, the most important piece to my high performance model is understanding those technical aspects that I want to progress throughout the four years and just making sure that they stay true to respecting those, those technical models, you know? Yeah. Now, that's awesome shit, man. Listen, bro, you brought, you brought some value, you know, to the episode today, man. I loved everything you talked about, but I, I want to take a couple steps back real quick. Yeah. Um, going back to when you said, you know, these kids aren't power lifters, not, uh, they're not training to be Olympic lifters enough. Like, listen, yeah. strength coaches get that a hundred percent, man. But you know, just like you said, my big thing too is like, Hey, look, every, you know, every rep, I always tell the guys, every rep's got to be a perfect rep. You can't wait for the last rep on the last set for it to be the perfect fucking rep. Because at the end of the day, you know, to me, you know, practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Right. Yeah. And, and the more we can attack, you know, perfect reps great reps and, and try to get away from ah, that was a good rep. Uh, hey, maybe, maybe next set, let's try to get better. If we can eliminate those conversations, I feel like, man, your numbers are going to go up way fucking faster than, uh, you know, popping fucking creatine pills, you know, post-workout or some shit, you know, just to, 
try, try, try to gain the extra edge. But I, I feel like technique drives big time. I hate half squats. I hate quarter squats. You know, I think there's a time and place for them, but not, you know, you shouldn't dedicate more than 5% of your program to it. Um, you know, I, I think there's a, there's a place for, you know, uh, block benching and shit like, you know, like shit like a half rep and stuff, you know, like we hate it. I hate it, but I think there's a place for it, you know, especially when, you know, if guys coming back from injury or, uh, trying to decrease the amount of eccentric stress or whatever the case you're trying to do there. But I don't, I don't know what your thoughts are on half reps, half squats and stuff, but. Yeah. Like, no, I, I, I completely agree. Like, I think it, you said it best, right. It's like, you know, perfect practice, right? Like yeah, that, those are the types of things. Like I, I think, you know, you give a lot from like parents sometimes, right. When I was working on the high school level or whatever, like, yeah, like, you know, uh, you know, my son could just go out there and just take a thousand shots. You know what I mean? I don't get what the problem is. <laughs> isn't, isn't he just perfect, Anthony? Isn't he yeah. just perfect? <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, why can't he just go take a bunch of sh- free throws? Like, he should just, he should get better at shooting free throws. Like, of course, like, yeah, like you'll probably get like, you know, uh, minimally better at shooting free throws. But if you, if you take, if I go, if I go, let me, let me tell you something. If I go out there and I take a thousand slap shots, or I'm not a hockey player, if I take a thousand slap shots, I'm going to be just as – I'll probably be worse at taking slap shots after because I'm just taking whoever I am. Shit reps, yeah. Exactly, and I'm just going out there and I'm just putting in repetitive – and that's – I think that's kind of the biggest issue that I have, right, like in terms of, you know, how, how we compromise technique for output. You know, oftentimes I, I see it a lot and just, you know, in the, in the training and conditioning community in general, right, there's just this, this compromise. Like, ah, everything is about output, 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 regardless. Like, I'm just going to take the athlete however they are. I'm just going to take them as they are, and I'm going to just, you know, increase their output levels. And it's like, well, if we really took a step back and actually provided them with some tools in the toolbox, I bet you the house would probably look a lot better at the end, right? So, yeah, a little, little bit more still, you know, those things, that, you know, so I, as far as like half reps versus full squats and all that kind of stuff. Like I, I would rather, I would, you know, for the specifically to the squat, I'd rather see a full squat, obviously. And I think, yeah. um, you know, there's obviously a time and place maybe for some, some half squats, some sports squats and, and things like that, depending on the time of year. If, if you know, I, I get it. Like it's a method that people use depending on you know, some, some sprinters have obviously had a little bit more success with that because obviously the, the quad isn't as pliable when they do go to, to sprint and whatnot. So they, they, everybody's got like different methods for doing things, but from like, if the athlete understands what you're asking of them and what you want from them and what you want from them is a full squat, if it's within their, you know, leverages and their anthropometric abilities, right? Like you, you try to figure out a way to, to, you know, make sure that the athlete has the most optimal opportunity to do whatever it needs to, they need to do. Uh, you know, then they, yeah, then they should, they should be executing that, you know? And it's like, uh, I think, you know, James Smith has this quote. I'm probably going to butcher this because it's, you know, it's James speaking. He's right. But it's like, uh, it's like, it's not, you know, re- repeating, you know, itself is, is, uh, is not the answer or something like that. It's not the, it's not repetition, you know, repetition alone is wrong. It's more so the nature of what is being repeated, you know? So I think mm. that's, that's kind of, you know, where, where we have to live. It's like, you know, I, I need to prepare these guys to be able to have the tools and the understanding of what I am asking of them. And then, you know, kind of, you know, you can, you can get into some of the, the Franz Bosch stuff from like an on-field perspective. I feel like from a, you know, a symbolism, you know, a little connection there, right? Like you'll start them, obviously you're going to teach them how to sprint and how to prepare for the sprint in a nice predictable environment where you're coaching them up. They're sprinting in a straight line, right? Like it's practice, you're in training. So there's no, you know, there's no, there's no other opponents or anything like that. Right. And then it's like, all right, now we need to teach them how to kind of break the rules and, and to, um, you know, adjust that to be able to kind of groove it to the types of, you know, sprinting that's going to take place for their particular position and the type of, you know, positions that they're going to be challenged in once they are actually achieving high velocities on the field, depending on what their positions are and whatnot. And I think the same goes, you know, for the weight room, I guess, you know, from a, you know, 40 <clears throat> perspective or just a, you know, a, 
you know, a training model perspective, it's like, yeah, I, I tend to lean a little bit more towards Charlie's vertical integration. I just kind of, I just kind of like it more. I think it makes a little more sense for team sports. I think it's a really comprehensive yeah. approach, but you know, I, it's, everybody's got, everybody's got different things that they want to use and different models and, and all that kind of stuff. I just think it's, you need to know what it is that you're looking to do and how you want to bring everybody together. Um, and then, yeah, figure out how you're going to execute that. Yeah, man. Big time, brother. Yeah, all right, yeah. man. Last, last question of the day. You ready for a big dog? Yeah, what you got? All right, man. If you ain't coaching, what other career do you see yourself doing? <sighs> don't give me the and don't give me the bullshit. I'd be a football coach. <laughs> That's yeah, what everyone's uh, telling. Yeah. <laughs> nah, I, I don't know, man. man if I, if I wasn't coaching. Man, it, it's it's tough. Like out there I, making tortellinis in fucking Tuscany, huh? Yeah, like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not great. I'm not great at cooking. Although I could, I and mean, I could take you through, like you know. How we uh, how we how we jar the how we jar the sauce? I mean, how we jar the, the tomatoes and get them ready for the sauce for the year and all that kind of stuff. I'm not I'm not great at, uh, at cooking. I don't know, man. Like to be honest with you, I, I do have um, I, I do have an interest in, in nutrition, and I, I have thought about potentially, you know, maybe maybe you know, further further down the road, kind of you know, working for a, a nutrition company or somebody who you know idolizes or idealizes some of the similar philosophies I have when it comes to nutrition and. Um, ingredients and, and health and well-being like it would, it would have to be something that's involved in you know optimizing the human body in some way shape or form it just it intrigues me like no other but uh, I don't know like to, to be honest with you like I would say something in you know I, I guess it's a very thing to say like something in philosophy I love philosophy you know what I mean but it's like what, what jobs do you get in philosophy so I can't really give that as, a, as an answer It'd probably be probably be something in, uh, in nutrition or something to that effect yeah I don't know damn man I feel like Strength coaches, man. Listen, this this is for everybody listening. You motherfuckers need to broaden your horizons, man. Oh, Talk, okay, if I was if I wasn't a strength coach, I'd be a football coach. I'd be a nutritionist. <laughs> Nobody, just like you're just like working your way around the building. Yeah, we just stay, yeah, just staying in the same building. Get the hell out of there, man. Shoot, I man. know, man. Nobody's even here anymore, bro. Everybody bounce on me. I'm like, I just you know, I, I don't know, man. Like I. I just, I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't really see myself in, in many other like areas. I just, I don't know. And I think about it often too, because I'm like, obviously, you know, the deal. you could always be out of a job, you know what I mean? When it oh comes, yeah. You know, so I'm always like thinking like, I mean, I, like I've had jobs that I've done prior to this that I know I could, you know, get back into obviously like, you know, you're Italian, like you've worked in construction or whatever you've worked in, you know. That's funny you said that. Cause I was just about to say, if I ever was out of a job, I'd probably get into landscaping or construction. Oh, 100 percent I've already got my contacts lined up for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to go ahead, you know, especially during that quarantine for a second. I was like, hey man, I might have to uh call on my boys and get the weed whacker back up because uh, we might be going to town soon. And it's like it's funny, like the things the other things that I'm interested in, like I really like poetry. I like I like I'm an English minor, like I like I like oh, reading shit, like right. philosophy. Um you know, like I, I, I just, I don't know the things, the other things I'm interested in, like I'm really into like the whole like primal, like primitive stuff, you know, like you catch me like, you know kind of walking around my backyard, like no shirt on, just no shoes or anything like that. Just like doing some stretching and some breathing. Like I, I mean, there's no careers in any of that stuff, at least that I don't know of you. Know I mean, so I guess like, yeah, like as far as like what I would be doing and whatnot, if I, was, I don't know. Like it's crazy because my dream at the end of the day is like, I want to be a director of a high performance model where I'm kind of putting all the police pieces into play. And mm-hmm. you know, I think you're passionate about something, dedicate enough time to it. You know, it's like, but I, I'm slowly starting to get to a point where I'm, I'm finding that I, I'm enjoying my job more because of the fact that I'm getting, you know, some other experiences and broadening the horizons a, a little bit. You know what I mean? But yeah, I don't know. I probably got. I gotta go watch Game of Thrones or something like that. I could do something. Different, you know? 
<laughs> well, go ahead, bro. You do your thing. And uh, listen, I don't want to hold you up for too long. I've been on here for some time now. But thanks for coming on the podcast today, big dog. It's been uh, great information. And uh, check you out again, all right?